Welcome back to NL Newsday. Hope everyone had a nice long weekend and is settling in for a warmer week ahead. Now, since today, of course, marks the first day of the work week, pleased to welcome to the show Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. And thanks, as always, for the time. All right, so a couple of things on the uh, list of uh, discussions, topics today. And that uh, first one I wanted to get into was with regard to facial recognition technology. So British Columbia's privacy commissioner has confirmed that five police officers and one civilian in the province have used the Clearview AI facial recognition software despite concerns about privacy violations. BC Information and Privacy Commissioner Michael McAvoy said in these cases, the software's use had not been authorized and was discontinued, but the commissioner's report released earlier this month found that Clearview AI's technology created a significant risk to individuals by allowing law enforcement and companies to match photos against a database of more than 3 billion images, including Canadians and children. Now, the investigation found the American tech firm collected images in Canada and actively marketed its services to Canadian police forces. And according to the report, a number of Canadian law enforcement agencies, including RCMP, had been using the advanced technology to help identify perpetrators and victims victims of crimes. And then the federal privacy commissioner, Daniel Terrian, told reporters that the software is a mass surveillance tool and it is illegal. And McAvoy said he was struck by the vast amount of information that was collected without consent and says the case also highlights the need to strengthen privacy laws in Canada. Okay, so a lot to take in there, but Kyla, I don't think it should be a surprise to anyone that there were some out there who were willing to try and take advantage of this type of technology, right? It feels pretty obvious why this would be helpful for police, but there, of course, is always a line when it comes to privacy, and that line, according to experts, clearly being crossed here in this type of a scenario. So how concerned are you, or, or should we all be, I guess, to see the police in this province here in BC that they have used this service at all? I think we should all be incredibly concerned that this is going on. Um, the reality is that the Supreme Court of Canada has confirmed already that your right to privacy includes your right to anonymity. That means you have the right to walk down the street without people being able to use traffic cameras or publicly placed cameras to capture a photo of your face and then compare it to a database of photos, you know, gammed off social media sites. This is something that, that has already been recognized in Canadian law. And the fact that police are out there using software that hasn't been approved, that is inconsistent with charter values in this country, and that five police officers have been caught to have used it, makes me concerned that there are possibly hundreds more undocumented uh, or unrecognized cases where officers have either attempted to use the software or have used the software and have subsequently covered it up. Mm -hmm, for sure. Now, uh, the, the Privacy Commissioner pretty clear that um, this is not something that should be being done and is also seeking out a way to better enforce privacy rules. I guess, is there, I mean, I would assume based on what we're seeing, there's definitely not enough of a deterrent to stop uh, law enforcement from using this kind of technology. Obviously, um, they're probably just trying to do it in a way that they don't get caught at this point. I think at this point, yes. Now that they know that they shouldn't be using it, um, you know, we can expect to see some police officers, and the vast majority of police officers, of course, are trying to do things lawfully, but there are going to be some who are going to surreptitiously use it to try and make a determination about the identity of an individual. Um, and, and that's troubling. But what's also troubling to me is the way that our privacy laws really have not 
adjusted to keep step with changing technology. You and I have talked about this before in the context of distracted driving Mm -hmm. laws, um, but our legal system is not responding quickly enough to respond to technology. And we get into situations now where police are using unapproved technology that hasn't been tested in our court system for which laws are unclear at best um, to deal with. And the result of their decisions to use that is often, if, if the matter was litigated in court, would often lead to a decision that the evidence could be included, even though it was obtained unlawfully, because police were acting under a mis- misconception of the law. There's mm-hmm. lots of instances in, in uh, police evidence gathering techniques where something new was tried, found to be unlawful, but the evidence was ultimately admitted in court because they were trying and they didn't know that what they were doing was wrong. Well, yeah, that's definitely concerning. So, and and bringing back to that point you had made, how we talked uh, about this in context of distracted driving, how laws just simply aren't keeping up with the pace of technology. I mean, if we don't start looking into these kinds of issues here now, now that we're into 2021, and I imagine the advancements in tech are only going to get, you know, more and more um, uh, better, right, (laughs) in a more quick fashion um, as we move through the years. So if we don't start dealing with this problem now and start coming up with a way to review laws on a more frequent basis, we're only going to get further and further into sort of like, you know, Stone Age times here when talking about our legal system. Oh, absolutely. I think we need a systemic change in the legal system to adapt to the way that technology has just changed the way that we live our daily lives. It was fine to, you know, enact new provisions of the criminal code or the Motor Vehicle Act or any piece of legislation through the slow legislative process and have them litigated through the slow process of court um, back when technology moved much more slowly. But now that that we have massive tech firms that are all competing to develop the fastest and best technology to do the newest and coolest thing, we need to create a legal system that is capable of responding to the changing realities of our society as fast as it changes. Because if we don't do that, then we're ultimately going to have a legal system that just doesn't recognize the realities of everyday life for Canadian people and is completely ineffective for that reason. Yeah, and especially when we're talking about the use of this type of Uh, facial recognition technology. I mean, people use this analogy all the time, but we are really on a path towards, you know, sort of a a big brother-esque type of world that we're living in, right? If if we're being watched all the time, it's just a matter of time before uh, law enforcement will use those tools to their advantage if, if we don't do something about it now. Yes. I think that's probably all on that. I mean, we could probably talk about uh, concerns around privacy and facial recognition for some time, but I do wanted to get to uh, another topic here, Kyla. So um, the Family Compensation Act. Uh, I had a conversation with a lawyer here in Kamloops, uh, Kerry Prittle, a few weeks ago about the Family Compensation Act, and there are a number of reasons why this needs to be updated. And in British Columbia, claims under this act are limited to financial loss, basically, you know, income loss and expenses incurred as a result of that uh, untimely death. And you need to have sort of like dependents or a mortgage in order for your family to really get any kind of compensation out of this. Now, there have been calls to see this act reviewed and renewed. And I guess my first question to you, Kyla, is does this act, as it's written now, just simply not put enough value on human life? Because that's how I feel a lot of families um, you know, feel about this law as it's written at this point. You know, it's it's very difficult to say that the legislation doesn't put enough 
value on human life. A lot of people take that view, particularly, you know, because people who are, uh, who lose a loved one under the act have no ability to sue for the emotional, you know, suffering that they're experiencing as a result of having lost a family member. Um, but we need to recognize that our civil system in Canada is designed to deal with um, restoring people to their to their whole as, as best that it can um, as a result of losses that they've sustained um, through unlawful conduct. And so the, the civil system is meant to compensate people for what they're out. It's not meant to give you money, unfortunately, to make you feel better. Right. And I, I think that's difficult for a lot of people to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, that is true. That's actually a really good, weird way to think about it. Other provinces, though, like uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, um, they do provide a base level of guaranteed compensation for wrongful death. Um, you know, why do you think BC has not implemented something along those types of lines? Just to make sure that families are able to, you know, get through a grieving time time with an appropriate amount of financial support in order to to get themselves back into a, a place where they can, you know, go back to their daily lives in some sense. One reason that British Columbia has really lagged behind is that our government has never really considered this to be a legislative priority. Um, we've seen, you know, in the years and years that we had a liberal government, a lot of priority given to crafting legislation to implement administrative tribunals. Now we see, since we've had the NDP government, um, crafting legislation to deal with some of the fallout of the decisions that were made under the liberal government and, and to address issues with respect to money laundering. It's never been a priority. And it's never been a really big issue that's been debated in the public. And, and, and there's good reason for that. The wrongful death of, of a loved one is not something that impacts everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to get a lot of public support for the idea that you should be able to sue for a wrongful death and get a large amount of money to compensate you for that. Because for most people, they just don't think it's going to happen to them. Yeah, it, it's hard to put yourself in those shoes until you're actually in them, right? So that's definitely something that um, makes sense as to why this doesn't get maybe as much attention as as other issues do. Um, Attorney General David Eby has um, said that changing the Family Compensation Act will be a priority and he is committed to bringing about change during this term of government, but it sounds like this could be an issue that, you know, drags on for the length of this current NDP term. So we're looking at, you know, three and a half years from now before potentially we see any sort of resolution here. Um, I guess what what are you anticipating in terms of this being a priority? Obviously, the Attorney General says it's one, um, but that doesn't mean he's in a rush to necessarily get the wheels in motion here. I mean, I anticipate that if we see changes to the Family Compensation Act, what we're going to see is an expanded class of people who qualify as a family member or who have a right to obtain financial compensation. Um, The act really limits who's entitled to financial Mm -hmm. compensation. And I don't think, you know, in the same way that our privacy legislation doesn't keep up with modern realities, the Family Compensation Act doesn't keep up with the modern realities of what families now look like, Mm -hmm. which which include people who are not directly related. Um, We have mixed families. Families, people with with uh, step parents, people who are divorced, people who have children together but aren't married or any in any type of relationship and never have been. We've got polyamorous families in British Columbia. There's all these different realities that aren't contemplated in the act, and I think expanding the definition of family might be the first step that the government takes. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense, and that's uh, a lot of great points you just put there in that answer. I think that's about all I have for time here, Kyla, but uh, always interesting to have you on the show. Always great insights, so thank you so much for your time. Appreciate this, and uh, hopefully we don't see you know people's faces being captured without their knowledge for uh, for at least a long time. I mean, hopefully never, but I imagine we'll see it in some form sooner than later, but uh, appreciate the time today. <laughs> thank you for having me.
Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee, right there.